Greetings and felicitations. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. <clears throat> I'm your host, Ben Hur. Welcome back. Season four, episode two. It's the new year. We've stepped into 24. And of course, I'm sitting here at zero dark 30 with a hot cup of joe and a semi-toasted blueberry bagel. Why should, should I put cream cheese on it? Or honey. Oh, I forgot to drink my honey. Okay, I got to do that. I got a lot of things to do in the morning, so early in the morning. So here I am, back with you, my friends, my family. And we're going to talk about some interesting things today. We'll get into it right away with the invasion and what's being done. Nothing. And we'll go from there, see where it takes us. Oh, the Cowboys are in the playoffs. That's a good thing. We'll get into that, too. So, stick around. We'll be right back. Talk a little invasion. Talk some football. And then we'll see where else it goes. All right? You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. Season 4, Episode 2. Stick around. I leave you with Billy Preston. Fishing. There was this bully, right? Didn't even seem like the bully type. Walked right up to me and told me, You look like a cookie bite. I say you could be right, but me, I'm not the lucky type. So I walked away and then he hit me with a cooking knife. He said, Did I tell you you could walk away, Sponge? I responded, No. And then he hit me with an eight punch all up in my face. And then I lost my patience. So I spent around and with him. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. We open with a little rap bit by SpongeBob. Okay, SpongeBob, you're still talking. That's enough. Okay, that's enough, buddy. Sometimes you got to shut the sponge down. Well, welcome back. You're listening to the... Ch- I think I already said that, didn't I? You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Okay, got a little bit of scoop for you. This happened to me at clinic on Friday. So I get called in and of course, um, the texts are running. Some of the texts are running late that pushed us, pushes us back in the waiting room. So we all had a chance to talk and gripe and get things off our chest. So did I finish? Oh no. I I still have some coffee. There we go. So they called me in we do the weigh-in thing, you know, the temperature check. I have my bathroom check. Then I grab my bag and I head into my chair. Now, I noticed that most of the chairs in my little section are slightly askew. By askew, I mean they're all pushed uh, way over to uh, the south, toward the south side of the building. So, I noticed that in the corner, it's about 10 feet from my chair, is where all this commotion started. Hmm. Sorry, that last swig of coffee, mm, that's the best. So, I noticed that the chair in the corner is completely covered, covered in plastic. Now, I don't know what that means, but 
when my tech came around, I said, hey, why is that chair covered in plastic? Her response was, that's above my pay grade and I don't know, which means she does know, but she, they're not allowed to tell. So that gets my conspiracy. Um, nodules all in a bunch, in a bind, and I got to know. So the floor nurse comes around and she's checking, you know, my machine. She's checking my, she's doing a check on, on for the tech. So I asked her, I said, what's the deal with uh, the chair? It's all in plastic and, you know, it's, is there some sort of outbreak or something? Her response was that you will be told at the right time. Well, you know what? Since I'm the closest person to that chair, I think the right time is now. Don't you? Or was I overreacting? I should have just shut up and rolled with the punches. Well, maybe not after you hear the rest. So, okay. They're not telling. I have to wait. Fine. Then uh, one of the other techs that was working that section where that chair was goes to the emergency door, the emergency exit door, because somebody's knocking on it. It turns out to be one of the, the floor nurse. And so now the, the curiosity begins because now they're opening the emergency, emergency door and they're trying to find a big rock big enough to hold the door open. So now I see them running out with gowns that they wear, the the uh, smocks, I guess you could call them, that all the techs wear. And I see they're, they're working, and then I see a head move. So there's somebody out there that they're working on. Like, who the hell is this? Now the chair, besides being covered in plastic, also had a stand-up, a portable scale. One of the big ones that they use in the hospital. And I'm like, what is what is all this? So I'm just quiet and I'm watching. And they're encasing the, the person in plastic. Then they, he's cold because they're doing this outside, which I think is wrong to begin with. So this poor guy, because he's telling them he's cold. And I guess they didn't let him bring his blanket from wherever he comes from. So they bring the guy in. He's ra- he looks like a, he's wrapped up like a mummy. He knows he knows me because he, he recognized me and, and he he greets me. So I greet him back. It's this little old man that comes in on a walker. So he sits in the chair encased in plastic after they weighed him. And now he's all wrapped up. And now they're covering him with smock after smock to keep him warm because he's cold. And he usually brings a blanket with him. When I tell you the the rest, you're not going to like it. Might make you cringe. So they see sit him in the chair next in the chair next to me, the one that's all covered in plastic. They proceed. The technician I'm watching. His technician is dressing out for somebody that I've seen this done before. When you're in the hospital and people and you're contagious or somebody's contagious. So you have to put on the gown, the gloves, the, the hairnet, a whole nine yards. So that's what this tech's doing. She's putting on the, the big gown, the yellow gown. She's putting on the, the hairnet. She's got her mask on. And then she puts on the little rubber, the little plastic booties over her, her shoes. And she proceeds to go to that man and poke his arm and get, his, get him hooked up to the machine. So then across the room, I see the floor nurse handing out leaflets to people. And I thought, this is a little odd. It's a little too early for me to be doing that. Usually they do that after 8 o'clock with the social workers here because she's the one that's supposed to do that. Anyway, I have the paper in front of me and I read it. And it says that there has been an infestation of bed bugs and they emanated from this man. What happened was he lives in a nursing home and you know that in a nursing home, what happens to one happens to all. Turns out that nursing home had an infestation of bed bugs. Where they came from, who knows, but he had them. 
because they these bed bugs either pole vault or they have like an aerosol vehicle and then they get they get to you. Uh, when I told my mom this story, she couldn't believe it. But then she says it, it happens, especially when I told her he lives in a nursing home. I felt bad for the guy when afterwards, but I was a little bit perturbed by the way they treated it with so such a cavalier attitude. I mean, it's, it's a big thing. You get one bed bug and, he, and they crawl. And this is a, a clinic where I've already seen two live roaches scurrying around the floor, freaking out some of the techs because they don't like dealing with roaches. They're screaming and, and, and uh, asking for help. And I'm like, I'm stuck to a machine. I can't move. So you step on it. She, they refuse to. Well, fortunately, there was another guy there who lived on the west side who dealt with bugs all his life. He stomped it and kicked it out the door. But now this is the bed bug issue. And so the old man starts talking to this other guy two chairs over. And I'm listening to his conversation. And he says he had a, he said him in Spanish that he had a little bug on him that bit him. It was a bed bug. So that means they have to destroy all the all the, the bedding in the in the nursing home, uh, sanitize the entire place, call in pest control people, hose the the nursing home down, provide new bedding, clean bedding to the individuals. They have to take all their clothes and either burn them or wash them thoroughly, and then give them back because these things get in everywhere. If you ever seen a bed bug infestation, they get into everything. You know, they, they hide under that little lip on your mattress. I had to check my bedding when I came home because it was like, that's just nasty. Now, it's not the guy's fault. He lives in a nursing home, so he's he's at the mercy of the nursing home and what they do or don't do. But I did feel bad before him. But not, like I said, for the clinic. Did they handle it well? Yes but they should have told us the patients in advance so we couldn't make a conscious decision to leave or to stay but didn't want to be anywhere near that man don't get me wrong he's a nice guy but you got the cooties and i don't want the cooties i don't want certainly don't want your cooties so that's the dilemma i'm going back because they said they did uh, have a pest control person come out, went to check the building from head to toe and found no bed bugs, no evidence of bed bugs. And they did spray, excuse me, they did spray the, the clinic. So, I mean, I'm not too worried about it, but what are we going to do now? If he comes in, you know, like he's bebopping downtown, then is he okay? Is he bed bug free? I don't. I don't know. Because it seems in that respect, the clinic didn't. They kind of dropped the ball. What does it mean? Well, it means a lot because it's like you're admitting that there's there. This guy has a problem, and we have to deal with it. I can't ask to be put in a different chair because they won't, because the chair seatings are already predetermined where I'll be today. I have no idea, but I just got to do the best that I can do. Right now thoughts go back to where I put my bag on the, on the shelf behind me and the man, the little old man was 10 feet away. What if a bed bug jumped onto the, shelf the shelf that ran uh, the length of that counter to my bag and says hey this bag's pretty cool let me let me climb in and see what's happening and now I bring this bed bug home he follows me to my room hops in my bed says this is jamming I just I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna lay my eggs and now I've got an I have an infestation of bed bugs you see how easy it happens it's like the roaches in the clinic I don't know where they came from could have come from somebody's car, scurried into the building, skittered in the building, and then, hey, this is pretty cool. It's cold, but I can deal with that because I'm a roach. You know, roaches, roaches can withstand heat and cold. It's an amazing thing. And now he's in the clinic, and there's 
it's a pretty big clinic. You know, he's probably found the break room and the crumbs on the floor and whatnot. And he's, he's doing pretty good. Then he meets up with some bed bugs and, uh, who knows? Then it's a gang. Then they form a gang. And then, you know, you have them going around terrorizing, shaking down the patients. Hey, give us your money, you know. That, that's just bug humor, man. Don't worry about it. So, here we are. Stepping into who knows what, right? Well, you do the best you can. We'll see what happens today. But you see, that's the way they handle things. It's this is kind of let's okay, let's address it now, and then that's it. I don't know that they called in pest control because I never saw them. You know, so your guess is as good as mine. They could not have done anything and just put it in a piece of paper and said, "Okay, we're we're officially cleared," and they move forward. But just like to hell with us. Who the hell? What's like one the other day when the nurse told me that. I get treated for free. I don't get treated for free. You guys, if you got treated us for free, you would have gone out of business a long time ago, simply because. It's a, somebody who's doing this to make money. It's a business. So whoever sits at the top of, of the pyramid is the one making the money because that's just the way it works. I don't know. What they're think they're they're it's it's a corporation, and corporations do things to protect themselves. Not so much anything for the patients, because according to some, we come first. But what they do, the way they act, the way that they carry themselves, they do not act as as if though we come first. It's always the corporation come first. They have to get paid. And that's the thing. That's the deal. And, you know, I understand that. I know the corporate mentality. It's about profits first and everything else a close second. Well, that's life, right? All I can do is say I'm going in there today and I'm going to do the best that I can. And hopefully no bugs. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet or been my bed bugs. We'll be right back. Stick around. ha. <laughs> And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Ooh, you know what that music means, don't you? It sends a chill down your spine if you love your favorite football team and you're watching the NFL on Fox television and you hear that song and it just makes your butt cheeks tighten up and you know what's coming. Football, 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 baby. I don't talk about that a lot on this show. You know, You've noticed that. But it's getting tight in the NFL to the point where everybody knows who's who's playing who next Saturday or Sunday, depending on the, the, the game that it is. Now, let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys, my team, America's team, hopefully your team. And if it's not, it's cool. So the Cowboys played. Did they play yesterday? Oh, yeah. Uh, they paid the the Washington Commanders, formerly the Washington Redskins, but they played them nonetheless. The well, the Redskins I almost said that the Commanders went in with a four and twelve record, not a great record to have in the NFL. They were out of the playoffs a long time ago. They had lost seven in a row and eight with this the victory over them by the Cowboys. Um, now, don't get me wrong. The, the Commanders are a good team. I mean, they've won four games against rivals that they should not have beat, but they did. So that's that's a good thing. A bad thing if you're in their conference because you were you almost eliminated. Well, you did eliminate yourself back a few games. Now, the Cowboys, by the same token, 
have had their share of ups and downs this season. They go in to the game yesterday with a record of uh, 11 and 5. And now they are 12 and 5 with the victory. Uh, Washington has a good team. They have a very strong defense, which, you know, was, was seen evidently yesterday. They have a very strong offense with a very good, very good, very skilled quarterback. But they have some flaws as as well as the Cowboys do. The Cowboys went on to trounce these guys 38 to 10. I was worried in the first quarter when Dallas was making some, some of their classic mistakes. And then the game turned and the Cowboys just went on top 38 to 10 and never looked back clinching the division title of uh, of the I think it's the Eastern Division and uh, Philadelphia lost to the New York Giants which is a division rival which set them down even further which cost them the division title but they're still the number one no the number I don't know what I think they're the number one seed. I, I don't know how sure that. Oh no, no, the 49ers are the number one seed, so they get a bye next week. And I don't know who the Eagles are going to face. I have to. I have to look at my schedule and see what's going on, because it was still up in the air yesterday. Because there was a lot of games being played that had a lot of bearing on each team as to what they were, where they were going to be in the wild card slots, or if they were going to go straight out to the playoffs and, and, and as the as the heads of their divisions. The NFC East, which is Dallas's uh, division, is the worst division to be in because the teams are good and sometimes not so good. Case in point, the Philadelphia Eagles. The, field, the Philadelphia Eagles at the beginning of the season rolled like a juggernaut. They were like 10 and 10 and 10 and 0 several weeks back. And that's when it started. What couldn't be stopped seemed to seemed to be very stoppable. What couldn't be win became very winnable. The Cowboys were living proof of that because they, they beat, they were beaten by Philadelphia and then they turned around and beat them the second time around. This is when Philadelphia was already starting to experience their troubles within the team. Jalen Hurt, their quarterback, was injured yesterday with a jammed finger. They said they popped the finger and put it back in place. But I don't think he went back in, into to play. Uh, and if he did, it didn't do them any good because the Giants were all over the, the Eagles. They owned them yesterday. As a matter of fact, I think their score was 28 to 3 or 28 to 10, something like that. It did not eliminate the Eagles from the playoffs. They're going to be in the playoffs. Uh, I think they're going, they may end up facing the 49ers. Dallas went on to win. They beat the Commanders. And now they are going to face, well, actually, they didn't know who they were going to face because, uh, Los Angeles was still playing uh, against the 49ers and beat the 49ers, so they guaranteed themselves a, a slot in, in the wild card. And then uh, Philadelphia lost, and the Packers won. So by the Packers defeating, I think they played the Bears, they are going to face the Cowboys next week. We already know this, and the Green Bay Packers are having their share of problems as well, on the field and off. So we'll see how that plays out, and the Cowboys will be playing them in Texas Stadium or the AT&T Stadium, their home, their hometown, their home, their home field. And this season, the Cowboys are undefeated at home. So let's hope that streak continues. And we see how this now. Now here's the other thing on on the AFC. The Texans made the playoffs. The Texans. So at this point in time, if everything goes 
the way many football football uh, fanatics would love to see go. See the Texans win all their games and go to the Super Bowl and have the Dallas Cowboys do the same thing for the NFC. And then you would have two Texas teams facing each other in the Super Bowl, that being Dallas and the Texans. We can dream, can't we? Oh, yeah, we can dream, baby. That's the ultimate goal for any football fan in Texas is to see the both Texas teams going into the Super Bowl. Oh, I can feel, yeah, I, I hear it. I know. I know what you're thinking. His voice is going. It's just, it's early in the morning. And I've been chatting too long and I haven't drank any water or any kind of liquid to, to, to nourish my vocal cords. Don't worry, we're almost done with this segment. Uh, so, <clears throat> who's your favorite team? Are you a Cowboys fan? Are you a Texans fan? Do you like the Philadelphia Eagles? Do you like the 49ers? The LA Rams? I mean, it's it's going to be a very interesting set of games for these playoffs because it's going to be anything goes. And you know what I'm talking about. Yes, sir. Anything goes in the NFL. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hurst. Stick around while I get something to drink and fix my throat. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Chairline Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. You, me, and Van Morrison, Brown Eyed Girl. So, here's a little update. Went to clinic on Monday. It's Wednesday. And I got there early. I got there at about a 20 to 5. I was just early. I mean, I just, it was rainy and crappy and so I just try to get there early uh, oh by the way sitting here at zero dark 30 drinking coffee munching on my bagel and uh, anyway what happened was once again the ca- the clinic was in chaos half the staff wasn't there the boss lady was not there to be anywhere to be seen so I go in and everybody the place is packed the first round, the the ones that's going at, at four four thirty weren't in yet, so that pushes everybody back. So that already puts my mood in the dark place. My patient advocate has no idea as to what's going on. He should, and then something happened. The door opened. And out came the nurse from, that runs TTS. I won't mention her name just to, to protect her, her, her identity. And she's going through the list of everybody that's seeing who's here and making adjustments because, once again, the staff's not there. We need, she needs to get us in and get us treated. This is one of the things they do because the state will be all over their ass if they don't. So anyway, she's counting out people telling other people that their tech's not here so they have the opportunity to reschedule or they can wait. So, it turns out they had one tech that was out sick, a nurse on vacation, and a nurse that didn't show up for work. So, the nurse went on to tell us that a call had been placed to the head of the facility to get some people down here and we're told that she would be down here as well. So now we wait. The waiting game plays. My tech's here, so I have no worries. So she takes in the people she needs to take. And uh, so I'm sorry, I'm, I'm chomping on a, 
on a Velforo, my phosphorus tablet. So now the waiting game starts, right? So now we're in the waiting room. We're all bitching. And and I'm trying to gear the, the, the people to notice that the, the facility administrator isn't doing her job. She needs to go. They all agree with me, but they're not going to do anything because they're not. I know they're not. They're sheep. I'm the wolf in sheep's clothing. You know that. I've told you this before. Sorry, I needed coffee. <clears throat> so, all right. Time goes on. They start getting the people in. My time comes. They call me. I get checked in. I weigh in. I go and do my my morning routine. Then I take my bag and walk over to my chair. I make small talk with my tech. And then about 45 minutes later, the same nurse comes around. You know, she does my 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 uh, pre-treatment assessment, and she starts telling me what happened. And I told her flat out, the facility administrator needs to go. She's got to go, because she told me she was going to have a meeting, sit-down meeting with her when she came in, and told her all about all the deficiencies on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, because she does not run two TTSs Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. So there was going to be a powwow and the facility administrator is going to have to get her head out of her butt and get on, get on, get on her people. Or you better pack, pack your bags. That's what I told her. She came in and said, look, she's been here over a year and she can't do the job. Then she said, well, that's why she's all stressed out. I said, that's not my problem. She's the one that's stressed out, not me. I'm stressed out for other reasons. Because you guys can't get it together and put something on the table for us to use. She agreed. You know, of course. How can you not agree? I'm, I'm in the right here. So, she's going to write a letter and send it up. I said, that's your other problem is you have a corporate regime that does not care about us. I said, and I told her the story about what had happened the other day when the, the, the nurse had told me that we get treated for free. I was like, she said that. She goes, she said that. I said, yes, yeah, she said that. Do you see what we're up against? We're up against a lot of uh, myths or no information. And we're the ones that suffer. Once again, she agreed. And I said, where do we go? She goes, would you be willing to tell somebody that? I said, I'll tell them whatever you want, they want to know. Because it's the God's honest truth. We get treated like crap. She said, okay. She pulled out her, her little notebook, started writing, scribbling down stuff. I said, I live this every other day. So, you're preaching to the choir when it comes to the way this clinic works. I said, this clinic was once the best clinic in U.S. Reno. That was four years ago. Something's changed. And I didn't tell her the story about Alberto Perez, the F.A. that kind of made it spoilless for all others. I'll put it to you that way. This guy knew every patient's name. He knew their medical stats. And he would sit with us periodically, go over our, our lab results, tell us what we needed to do, tell us, told us what we should do. And that was that. But he knew us. He cared about us. If there was a, if a tech was short that day, he would jump in on the line and, and, and take care of their patients. Then he left because the corporate people were more interested in money and he left. They in turn hired another another person that was just the worst. She, the clinic was just a stepping stone to her next job. She did as little as she could, and I didn't expect anything over, and I got nothing from her. And she left, and then this new one came on, 
came on talking about making changes and this and that, and some changes were made, but other things. She's she's big in a nepotism. Her future daughter-in-law works for the company that is a tech. So when this girl wants to come in late, she comes in late. When she wants to come in in a bad mood, she comes in in a bad mood because her patients, my friends, have said that she doesn't know how to stick. She has no bedside manner, and when and when she's angry, she takes it out on that on that person. She has no business being there. She needs to go back to Luby's or wherever the hell they found her. But it was her boyfriend's mother that ran the clinic, and this is not the first time you know that nepotism has, has taken place. So you just kind of wonder, what is going on? Who's making the rules? What are the rules? Are there any rules exactly? Exactly. That's, that's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you. And so, that's where it stayed. So I texted my friend Charlie, my, my patient advocate, and I told him what had just happened. And then he said he wants to get in on that on that action because he wants to say his piece because he's frustrated. Uh, he talks, to, he tells somebody something, the people that he's supposed to be moving his our complaints up the line, and nothing gets done. They're just they're, playing, they're just paying him lip service. They're not doing anything. So, I mean. You don't get treated this bad in a hospital. I've been in a hospital where you get treated really, really bad. That was University Hospital. That was like 10, 20, 15 years ago. They were building a new hospital, and then everything changed. They were super nice. They were super patient-oriented, and they still are. I think that's still the best hospital in San Antonio. But you know, it's a matter of patient care and compassion. The people in the hospital are suffering, whatever it is they, they have, whether it's a disease, um, uh, uh, something wrong with, with the organ, or something wrong with just them in general, and they come to the hospital for help. The hospital is obliged to provide it, and they should provide it in a way where it's beneficial to both the patient and the, the hospital staff. Because you want them out and back in society doing what they do. I get all that. But it seems that there are so some hospitals that still believe in the old ways, which is treat the patient as badly as you can and get them on out. I don't know why they do that. Because it's not going to get you anywhere. But uh, we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. We'll see how this is going to change anything, if at all. Who knows, maybe we can get rid of that uh, facility administrator and get her moving on her way, get rid of the person she hired that's related to her, and then let's, let's, get, let's get back on track. Let's get back to rolling the way we're supposed to roll. Not the way some bean counter further up the ladder thinks we should roll. And, you know, that's that. Well, I'm, I I don't want to sound you know bitchy or anything, but hmm. the thing about when it's cold weather, your coffee gets colder quicker. Not like in the summertime, man. You're sipping it because you can't drink it, and then when twenty minutes has passed, you're still sipping it because it's super hot because it's a hundred degrees outside. But when it's winter time, that coffee cools off quick. But, uh, so yeah, we're going to see. I don't expect much because, I mean, you know, they don't listen to this gal. They really don't, but they should. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Stick around. We'll be right back.
And we're back. <clears throat> You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. And um, once again, I'm here at Zero Dark Thirty. The wind is blowing outside. The per- temperature's going to drop dramatically. And I'm sitting here with a hot cup of coffee and, of course, a toasted bagel. So, yesterday was laundry day. Loaded up the, the car and went to do a wash. Now, when I'm there for two hours, I have nothing better to do but then to watch the other people that are there. We're interesting creatures, us humans, when it comes to stuff like laundry and, you know, the things we do and the uh, the times we do them in because it's almost predictable but my question is when you do laundry if you've gone to the laundromat well how do you do yours now there are several kinds of people but the ones I'm talking about are the ones that wash their clothes put them in the dryer let the dryer go for about 20 minutes and then you come back to the dryer, open up your clothes and take out what's dry, fold it, repeat, repeat, repeat. To me, that's almost a defeatist kind of thing. If you pay for 45 minutes for your dryer to run, give all of your clothes the 45 minutes. I guarantee you they will all dry evenly. They'll be foldable when you're done. I think that's the problem. They don't want to fold them all those clothes after they're done. I believe in giving your clothes the full ride. When you get on the ride at the at the carnival and the roller coaster's at the very top before it takes that big plunge, do you stop it so you can get off? No. You paid for the full ride, so take it. Your clothes deserve, I mean, when your clothes are washing, you don't stop the washing machine and take your clothes out because all you think they're clean. Well, give your uh, give your clothes the same. Now, maybe you don't want to spend all that time in the laundromat. Well, then I suggest you go to Home Depot and buy your washer and dryer. You can do your, wa- your wash at your leisure in your house. Otherwise, you got to go to the laundromat like the rest of us schlubs. And uh, go from there. But anyway, that's not what I was going to really talk about. What I wanted to talk about was, uh, so for this episode, you haven't heard me bitch about being broke up with Laura. That's cool. I'm not saying I've reached the end of my five phases. The five phases of grief. But... I kind of guess we reach a a point where you kind of figure it's not going to happen. She's not going to come back. But I still don't give up on hope. I can't. Because for me to do that would be to give up on a lot of things. And I'm not ready to do that yet. So there we are. It still hurts. It still hurts, but uh, as the saying goes, one door closes, another one opens. Maybe another door has opened. There's a woman that I know, and it's just uncanny that the minute this happens with me, she starts talking to me again. Is there a door opening? I don't know. Maybe it is. So, that's going to be a wait and see. Because I'm not going to try to rush things. I, I don't. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just tired. You know, I'm tired of getting kicked in the teeth. 
it's a fear, really. And uh, I think that's a normal defensive reaction. I think I'm a good man. I hold doors. I'm going to have to start complimenting more. Now, in certain areas of being a man, I can no longer function. But there are other parts of me that make up for that. And it's just going to have to be good enough. I'm not a perfect man. I don't claim to be. But I try. I try every day with everybody. Not to be perfect, but at least close to it. Mmm. It's a good bagel. We're good. I apologize. I'm usually not this noisy when I eat, <clears throat> but I'll go. I got up late, so I have to condense everything to make it work. So far, so good. All right. Well, I really, truly guess that's all I wanted to say about all this. And you won't hear me bitch about it no more. Because this is my own private hell. But wish me luck on the other thing. We'll see how that goes. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. We'll be right back. Come gather our people wherever you roam And admit that the waters around you have grown And accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone If your time to you is worth saving Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone For the times they are and we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. <clears throat> I'm your host, Ben Hur. Thank you for sticking around. Sorry, Bob. I had to turn Bob down there so we could so I could chat with you. <clears throat> well, the times they are changing every day. There's something new, something different. <clears throat> Let's see what's going on. <clears throat> well, there's still a war going on in Israel. They're still fighting Hamas. And public opinion, I have to admit, has started to turn against Israel. Uh, And that's the effect of the media on the war. And uh, every time something bad happens, Hamas is on top of it to tell you their version of what happened. And that's probably what has assuaged public interest to shift. Now, don't get me wrong. I support the people of Palestine as well. They're the innocent victims in all this. And it makes me think back to a time when I was a kid. And I could see all the news on the the TV of our men in Vietnam fighting the Viet Cong and the communist North Vietnamese. But it was a bigger war than that. And I think it's very visible with this war. <clears throat> we know that Hamas is bad. Terrorists. They're the ones that initiated the attack on October the 7th, not Israel. Israel was coming off the end of a holiday, long holiday weekend. 
when they got attacked. And it was Hamas, not Palestine, not the Palestinian people. It was the military faction of Palestine, although they are not the official uh, military arm of Palestine. They're the unofficial arm that does stupid shit like that. So now they have all of our young people who don't have a clue, really and truly. They're just college students that are trying to make points with somebody so that I'm going to go support Palestine. I'm going to wave a Palestinian flag and uh, do that. Well, you know, that's all well and good, but you should have all the facts before you before you take action. Have all your facts. Make sure your facts are straight. And they, and they don't. These are just dumb kids that don't know any better. But the professor tells them, no, wave a, go out and wave a Palestinian flag, and that's what they're going to do. Now, I think back to, let's say World War II, were there sympathizers of the Nazi regime in the United States? Yes, there were. But they didn't go around marching downtown streets of Indianapolis or Seattle or New York City, for that matter, because you didn't want people to really know that you supported the Nazis and their destruction of the Jewish Jewish people. <clears throat> So now we kind of have another, the same thing right here for all to see. I'm not saying that the Hamases are Nazis, but I'm saying they seem, and here's a little known nugget. During World War II, many of the Arab states supported Nazi Germany because they had a common enemy in the Jewish people. And Hitler was hell-bent on destroying every last man, woman, and child child who was a Jew as part of his final solution. So many of the Arab states supported that because they wanted to get rid of the Jews as well. True story. True thing. Yeah, you, you can look it up. You'll, you'll see. A lot of Arab states supported the Nazi regime. Now, today... We have these supporters of Palestine of, of of Hamas claiming that Israel are the Nazis. That that makes me laugh. No, I didn't laugh just now. I just took a pull of my coffee. So <clears throat> you have a very strange war now. What makes it stranger is that the United States is on the side of Palestine, or of, I'm sorry, it's on the side of Israel, sending them aid and arms as well. And you have some of the, what, what, what we'll call the old Axis powers supporting Palestine. You know, it's that whole worker crap communist thing going. But uh, I'm not trying to trivialize the uh, the reasons for why they do what they do, but they're doing them anyway. They have their reasons, and I guess it is what it is, you could say. Anyway, as uh, I was speaking, I had, to, I had to stop for a minute. Sorry about that. But um, you see what's going on. Uh, if you're very well-informed, like I think, most of my listeners are, all 10 of you, you'll figure out that uh, I think societies, much of the young, the young people are very misguided about this war. But then again, it's because they are victims, and I say victims because they are no longer educated in our schools here in the United States, as opposed to indoctrination because many of them have been indoctrinated to the fact that to hate the United States, to hate what we stand for, and to support those that the United States has, so what they believe have been trodden upon and had their rights trampled, their freedoms removed, but yet here we are. We're still that shining bastion of hope for people around the world. 
And how do I know this? Because I see the streams of people coming across our southern border as it is open right now from California to Texas. The border is being crossed by thousands of people, many being documented, many not, many not. But they come here because they're coming from countries like Iran, Venezuela, even communist China to seek this life of freedom. Now, why is that? And here's here's my prediction, is that these people are going to find out that the United States is turning into the very country they fled, and they can't get away from it, and they're going to go back. Or they're going to stick it out here because they can still... See, that's the thing about the people coming in from across the border, regardless of what nationality you are. They come to work to make a better life, and that makes us Americans look bad because we're lazy. We don't want to work. But that industrious Iranian or Chinese person or Venezuelan want to work, want to make money. It's something they can't do in their own country because inflation runs rampant and the educational system sucks. And they come to the United States. Why? Because ours is still better. Even though we have flaws, we have problems. That's the thing. That's the beauty of America. That's the shining bastion that people see from across the ocean. And they come and they want a piece of this United States American thing. But us Americans have lost that desire to be who we used to be, to be the leaders that we once were when this country emerged from the darkness of World War II. And we we led everything. In, my, every, in other words, let me put it this way. Everybody wanted stuff from America. If it said made in the United States, they wanted that because it was good. It was worthy. I bought a TV less than a year ago, and it's a Philips. Philips, of course, a long-standing company of technology in the United States. Everybody had a Philips radio at one time. Anyway, I buy this TV for my mom, and just recently, as two weeks ago, it craps out. I don't know what happened. And the pisser is I don't know what I did with the receipt, so I can go get my money back. So I got to go out and buy another TV and hope that American craftsmanship is still intact and the TV lasts for a while. I mean, there are people that have old console TVs, those big bulky ones, that actually it's a piece of furniture with a TV in it, in their homes, then they still function. And that's 40 or 50 years worth of technology that, that goes in, or, or craftsmanship that went into that. But now you buy a TV, a nice flat screen and it craps out on you. This is what happened. What happened to American craftsmanship? Even our cars, you know, every year you hear Ford or GM, somebody recalling a half a million cars for this, that, or the other thing. And usually something very, very major, like you might fail, your brakes might fail, or your steering wheel might fail. So there you have, you know, you have the big problem. But these people still see us as this bad bastion of, of, Hope. Once again, there's that word, hope. Everybody has to have some sort of, we all have some sort of hope, you know. It's not all for a loss. But see, that's a very pessimistic point of view, and we can't, we can't do that. We can't be like that. Man, that one's howling out there. Huh. So... That's that, you know, I mean, in the United States, you, do, you our children are not educated, they're indoctrinated. Many children graduating from high school can barely read at a third grade level. That's not, that's not good. I remember when I was in the fifth grade, I was already read at a high school level. I remember I used to get compliments from the teachers about that. Actually, it's not just me. All of my students, all my fellow brethren that I graduated with, we were very intelligent kids. Because at the time we went to school, we were educated. We were taught our math, our science, and our history. And when it comes to history, they've skewed our history to make us look like the villains. And not every American was a slave owner. Only very few. Just like right now, there are only very few billionaires in this country. But yet we have them, and it's okay because you need them to keep the things rolling. I think that's what people have forgotten about history 
and the education that it provides to people, along with math and science, <clears throat> you can't you can tear down all the statues of Columbus, and George Washington, and Thomas Jefferson, and even Lincoln. They call them racist and slave owners and this and that, but yet it's your history, and you can't change that. All you can do from it is teach it to not do make that mistake again. Because guess what? If you don't, you will make that mistake again. And I'm not saying the war in Israel is right or wrong. It is what it is. And we should let the Israelis fight it. It's their war. It's not ours. They haven't asked us to go send American soldiers to go and shed blood for them. We're not at that point yet. And right now, it's what's keeping, I think, Iran with one hand tied behind its back because they can't go at us full force. They harass us, like they're harassing the ships in the Mediterranean Gulf and the uh, Straits of Hormuz, all in that area. The Houthis in Yemen, you know, shooting, lobbing missiles at every American ship they see. Little do they know that they ignore history because it was General Yamamoto himself who said when it came to the attack on Pearl Harbor, I'm afraid all we have done is to anger a sleeping giant and filled him with a terrible resolve. And that rallied the United States to enter the war and in a matter of four years, less than four years, we defeated Japan and we defeated Germany to shape the world to what it is now. Now, if you don't like that, I'm sorry, that's too bad. That's just the way history worked out. And that's God's honest truth. But the generations that are sort of starting to follow are very are struggling very poorly in, in making it in this society. I don't know what the future holds for them. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Stick around. We're almost done. Well, it's all right Riding around in the breeze Well, it's all right If you live the life you please Well, it's all right Doing the best you can Well, it's all right And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hurth. Well, once again, we welcome 2024 with a whole host of problems. But all we can do is take each one at a time and try to resolve it and make things better. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I do know this much. The sun will rise and we'll get to see what the tide has washed in. Of course, that's a line from Tom Hanks and Castaway. But it's something I believe in because you have to have hope for anything because this thing can change at any time. So, however your 24 is shaping up, I hope it's shaping up well. Some of us are getting through things, over things. Some of us are about to hit that brick wall and enter a whole nother world. I bid you luck. And of course, when you hear the Traveling Wilburys, you hear the end of this show. We made it through another episode, friends and neighbors. And I leave you with this. To live, to laugh, and to love. To live today and each day as if it's your last day on this earth, because guess what? It just might be. There might be a bus or a rock or a bullet with your name on it. So do your best you can every day. Laugh. Laugh at what goes on. I'm not saying life's a joke. I never will. But life will provide you with some funny shit in your life. Stupid, funny things have happened to you. I, I, I guess I, I still need to talk about that. So remember, and then to laugh at yourself. Because I'm not saying you're a joke. But once again, you've done some really funny stuff that you can look back at and laugh on. Because you survived. And love. Love yourself. Love your friends, love your enemies, love your enemies even more. 
and love yourself even, even more. Hug your kids tonight when you see them. Kiss your mom, kiss your dad, hug your dad, shake his hand, tell him thank you. And do the best you can. So, until next week, I think I will leave you with George Harrison, Bob Dylan, Tom Petty, and the rest of the Travanilla Wolfers. Oh, or, or, or Overson. Yes, yes, yes. Here you go, folks. See you next week. Adios. We're all going to the end of the line.